This week in our missional community groups and in the coming weeks, we are going to continue to talk about and to practice prayer together. We have some tools, we have some resources for both individuals and families with children to begin to practice prayer and to grow in the practice of prayer. But this morning, our teaching focuses on something that I think is not commonly connected with prayer, and that is singing. Singing. Part of the church and our church experience that I think maybe provides the most diverse range of experiences is singing, right? Different songs are sung across different churches. Different style of music is played. Just even the tone and the emotion and the feeling of singing is different from church to church. If you did not grow up in church and are now part of a church, I'm guessing that singing might have been one of the weirdest things to acclimate yourself to uh, as being part of a church. It's just not normal. It's not something that, um, that we do a whole lot. But regardless of what your experience has been with singing in church, I would venture to say that not many of us have ever connected singing with praying. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to open the scriptures with you and I want to show you that singing is something that we do, but it's also a way that we do something else, namely pray, that singing helps our prayers. And there's no verse, there's no passage of scripture in the Bible that says singing is praying and when you pray, you should sing or when you sing, you should pray. But there's a lot of connections that the scriptures make with the practice of singing and the practice of prayer. And so I want to unpack those. But I want to start with two passages in the New Testament that I think give us the context of what we're talking about here. The first is Ephesians chapter five, verse 15, starting in verse 15. So if you want to turn there, if you want to use one of the blue or white Bibles on your chair around you, feel free to do that. If you don't own a physical copy of the Bible, feel free to take that with you as our gift to you this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul's letter here to a group of Christians living in the city of Ephesus, a group of Christians that was probably pretty diverse, made up of, of people from Jewish backgrounds and Gentile backgrounds. And starting in verse 15 of chapter 5, Paul writes, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then if you take a right in your Bible, a couple of pages, you'll run into Paul's letter to the Colossians. Chapter 3, starting in verse 16. Let the word of Christ... Dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In both of these passages, the broader context is Paul is laying out this vision for folks of saying like, Don't just say you follow Jesus, but here is actually what it means to follow Jesus within the context of your church community. This is what it looks like to be in relationship with other people as followers of Jesus Christ. And in both of these, as you just heard and read, Paul encourages these believers towards the practice of singing together of singing together and making music together. And specifically in that passage in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says that being filled or controlled by the Spirit of God makes us sing. That it moves us towards singing and encouraging one another in song. So from the beginning of the church, singing has been an essential practice. And specifically, Paul mentions three types here. He talks about psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And those would have meant some very specific things to his readers, the people who were reading these letters and and in these church communities together. Obviously, the psalms are the psalms as we know it as well. The Jewish folks in these churches would have known the psalms. They would have have probably, uh, in some cases, grown up um, steeped in the language of the psalms in, in what we have as the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. Hymns would have been something that the Greeks and the Romans and the Gentiles in these, in these congregations would have been familiar with because they, this was a type of music and a genre of music that was, that was very familiar and very popular in Greek and Roman culture because they would sing these hymns to their heroes, their military heroes, coming back from war, coming back from great victories. They would sing these hymns of honor and praise to these men who would come off the battlefield. They would sing these hymns of praise and, and, and reverence to the greatness of their many gods. And in the early church, the church actually transformed this genre of music into praise and worship, not of men and not of of all of these gods, but to the one true God. And they sang and, 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 and did this together. And passages throughout the New Testament, many scholars believe, are actually passages of hymn, that are hymn passages that were sung in the early churches. Um, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. All of these passages speak to the greatness and to the glory of Jesus Christ. And they were sung by these folks set to music, to, to praise and to, to show reverence to God. So psalms, hymns, and then Paul says spiritual song. And this is probably just a general reference to music that just helps encourage, that helps build up um, uh, each other in the faith. So 
Paul says from the beginning, he instructs these churches, this should be a a practice of your church. This should reflect the fact that you are filled with the Spirit of God. This is a way and a practice that you can build each other up into greater faith and greater reverence and greater awe of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to start with that first genre, the Psalms. And I want to walk you through a few Psalms um, and, and help you see how this connects to prayer. What does our singing mean when we connect it to prayer? The Psalms are often called the songbook or the prayer book of the scriptures. Because so often we see in these psalms uh, uh, a poetic expression of who God is. Poetic expressions of of the realities of our lives. Poetic expressions of faith and trust and struggle and fear and doubt. And so I want to walk you through a few psalms that we find in the range of Psalm chapter 120 through 134. And these are called the Psalms of of ascent, the Psalms of ascent. And the first Psalm that we're going to look at is chapter 120, Psalm 120. These are called the Psalms of ascent. Three times a year, Jewish pilgrims, Hebrew pilgrims from all over this part of the world would make their way to Jerusalem for religious festivals. And Jerusalem was the highest city in Palestine. So these travelers, as these travelers made their way, they were very literally ascending up to Jerusalem to celebrate these religious festivals. And as they made their way, their tradition would be to sing, to sing together, to prepare their hearts together as they made their way to Jerusalem, the holy city, to celebrate these festivals, to worship during these festivals. And these psalms, these collection of psalms here in chapters 120 through 134 were songs that they would sing together, literally ascending up to the city of Jerusalem. But also as they sung these prayers, they were acting out in their bodies, a life that was being lived upward, a life that was directed to the worship of God. And so I want to look at Psalm 120 with you first. Psalm 120. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue, What shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. This is a prayer acknowledging trouble, acknowledging need for deliverance. Meshech and Kedar are places. One, Meshech, was this faraway place. And Kedar was a place that was closer to 
Israel, closer to Jerusalem, but was a place that was known for nomads. The nomads would come in and out and it was a hostile territory. And the psalmist here writes this prayer, acknowledging trouble, acknowledging his need for deliverance, the realization of being caught in this alien place, in this hostile place. And he prays and sings and and proclaims his need for God to deliver him from this place, saying no to these places and those who live in them, saying yes to God, stepping toward God and saying, I need you. I need your deliverance means stepping away from the world. And oftentimes we need to pray for deliverance, not only from those on the outside or circumstances on the outside, but for our own propensity to wander into these places. Our own propensity to find ourselves in places that are foreign to what we know to be true about God. To find ourselves in places where We are thinking and acting in ways that are hostile to God. In many ways, this psalm is a prayer of repentance. God, I'm saying no to these places. I'm saying no to the deceit and to the lies. And I'm saying yes to you. Let's move on to Psalm 126. Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion... We were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with the shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with them. This is a psalm that was likely written when the Israelites had returned from exile in Babylon. And they had spent time in Babylon. They had been taken as captives away from their homeland, away from the land that God had given to them to live in a foreign land that worshiped foreign gods. And now this remnant, this group of of Israelites are coming back to their land. And the psalm tells us that it was like a dream. Coming home was like a dream. It was like this is finally happening. We are finally here. Most of these folks may never have spent time here or uh, were born in captivity. And so all they had heard were the stories of this land. And now they're here and it's like a dream. But the reality begins to set in. This land was parched. This land was dry. This land was uncultivated. This land was destroyed because of years of neglect. Working the land, sowing the, the, the seed was painful and it was slow. This is a sung prayer of lament. That the cry of those wrestling with the tension of real pain and real sorrow and real grief. Paired with the promises of God. And the hope that God 
could do what he said he would do. And that's how this psalm ends. This song ends is that in the midst of this pain, in the midst of the recognition that sowing this seed, that planting this harvest in this dry, uncultivated land would be hard. It would take years. It would take sweat. It would take work. They anticipated that God would be with them. They anticipated that as they made this work a part of their lives, it would be worth it. That God would reward them, even though they couldn't see that in the moment. Let's move on to Psalm chapter 130. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. I mean, just look at those words, those emotive words that this psalmist, this song reflects of someone being in the depths, just sunken low, pleading for mercy. The stark realization of sinfulness and darkness and death. These discouraging, shameful moments when God pulls back the curtain for his people to see who they really are and what they're really capable of apart from him. But this is a sung prayer of hope. This is a prayer of hope that God doesn't deal with his people according to what they deserve. But he offers them forgiveness and he offers them love and redemption. That there is no fear There is no guilt. There is no shame. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And because of that, we see that there is sung a renewed trust, Mm -hmm. a renewed hope, a renewed obedience in following the Lord. Keep going. Keep moving forward. Put one foot in front of the other because God is a God of love a God of forgiveness, and a God of redemption. And then lastly, let's look at Psalm 134. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, He who made heaven and earth. Come Bless the Lord. That word bless means to speak well of, to give worth to. It's where we give our, get our word worship. We are speaking well of God. We are ascribing worth to God and acknowledging who he is. This psalm calls out and encourages the servants of the Lord, those who stand by night. These are the priests 
These are the professional ministers of the day. And they needed encouragement, during, especially during these religious festivals, where these festivals and these worships, worship um, festivals would happen all throughout the day and throughout the night. And these priests are ministering. They're standing. They're leading people in worship. And you can imagine that they're tired and they're weary. And the temptation to be listless. The temptation to just go through the motions because of how tired and weary they are. And this psalm encourages them. No, bless the Lord. Continue to bless the Lord. But notice, because of the tiredness, They may not be able to lift up their hearts to the Lord because they don't feel like it, because they're just not into it. But here they're encouraged that even if they can't lift up their hearts, what can they lift up? Their hands. Lift up your hands. Too often we start with what we feel like and let that determine how we act. But here it's saying, do this with your body. Lift up your hands. Even if your heart doesn't feel like it, lift up your hands and give God's Spirit the opportunity to lift up your heart. Open up that space to Him. Here they are encouraged to lift up their hands. Body and spirit are interrelated. Yes. The act, we can act out our gratitude. We can express our thanks. We can perform our praise. We can acknowledge who God is and speak well of Him. These psalms and all throughout the psalms give us language to sing and to pray. Mm -hmm. They give us language for our emotions and what we feel and what we experience. They give us the permission to say things and sing things to God that we may feel self-conscious and be like, am I allowed to do that? Am I allowed to say those things? Am I allowed to feel this way? The Psalms is such a beautiful book, a uh, collection of, of, of songs because it gives us the words for our reality. And it helps us to pray and it helps us to sing. It gives us a picture of how the truths about God connect with the realities of our lives. And I wanted you to see this because I want you to understand why we do what we do here on Sunday morning. That our liturgy, the words that you read on the screens together, the songs that we sing, that these things are selected and written with meaning and with purpose. We're not just haphazard in what we sing and what we say here on Sunday morning, because these bring us face to face here with that reality that our lives and what we experience are lived within the reality of God, of who he says, what he says is true. Remember, we've been talking over and over again about the fact that our prayer is not the first word. We do not initiate our prayer with God. Our prayers are a response to what God has already said. What God has said about himself. What God has said about us. What God has said is true about the world and the experience that we live in. Prayer helps us understand that our lives are connected to his reality. And why we do what we do on Sundays is important. Because the songs that we sing, the songs that we sing can be prayers 
to God. They can be prayers sung to God. Now, every song that we sing isn't a prayer. Sometimes we, we select songs that uh, are, are, are to just encourage each other, to strengthen each other's faith. Sometimes it's a song that confirms what we believe about God and what we hold on to. But when I think of some of the songs that we sing here on a regular basis, I think of the song, All I Have is Christ. It's a prayer sung, a prayer of repentance a recognizing that we are going in a direction away from God and choosing to turn around. And it ends with this line, Oh, Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose and let my song forever be my only boast is you. I think about the song that we sing so often. Yes and amen. Yes and amen. Pulled from the ashes, broken every curse, God is our help in time of need. That is a prayer of hope that we are singing to God, that we know the reality that we lived in. We know our own sinfulness and our own wandering away from God. And yet it is a song of hope that God has rescued us, that God has redeemed us, that God has given us a a hope and a future because he loves us, because we are his own. I think about the song before the throne. And, and that line, behold him there, the risen lamb. Look at Jesus and what he's done. And in the bridge, that word hallelujah is the, the Hebrew word praise you God. It's a song. It's a prayer of praise. When we think about the death and the resurrection of Jesus and the hope that we have in that, we praise God for that. And then I just think of the song we sang a few weeks ago where we were actually singing the words of the Lord's Prayer. Singing, let your kingdom come. Because we know it hasn't. We know it's not fully here. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. We sing that with the backdrop of grief and pain. We sing that understanding the injustice that so many of us experience and that our world experience. We sing, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, because we know that God's enemy is running wild throughout this world, wreaking havoc, bringing death and destruction. It's a song of lament. It's a song of understanding that God's kingdom is not fully here. And yet we sing as a prayer, God, we want it. We ask you to bring it. Many of the songs that we sing here are sung prayers because when we sing together, we pray together. As I was doing some research on this, I was directed to kind of an unlikely source uh, for singing uh, some of you are familiar with John Calvin, who is uh, one of the fathers of the Protestant Reformation and is more uh, commonly known for his thick books on doctrine and theology and all kinds of things on that. But in his Institutes on Christian Religion, he has a section on prayer and how singing helps us to pray. And I want to close here with a few of some of the observations that he makes that I think are really helpful. He says that singing our prayers focuses our wandering thoughts. Mm -hmm. Through song, 
the thoughts of God are kept alive in our minds. Singing helps us bring our minds and our hearts in alignment with God's. The troubles and the responsibilities and what I have to get done today. If you're like me, those things fill my mind. And there are just times where like they are just completely overwhelming. And I can't focus on God. I can't see God. Sometimes I just don't want to. I would rather think about those things. And there's something about singing. Singing has a way of keeping us in the moment and helping us be present while we sing these words to God. Singing our prayers sparks our affections and engages our emotions. There's something about music. I mean, we all understand this. There's something about music that hits us at a deep, deep level. Just hearing the beginning of certain songs can evoke a lot of emotions in us, right? Can bring us to tears, can help us feel happiness, can, can uh, uh, bring up moments of pain and, and sorrow, uh, all of those things. And, and sometimes we need to sing our prayers to God instead of speaking them. Because what we feel, we need to say to God. We feel it too deeply. We feel it too deeply sometimes to just speak it. And so singing together, singing these songs together as prayers to God can help us linger a little longer in vulnerable places that we may not want to. Singing our prayers engages our entire body. Music and movement. We use our own body, our own voice, To project struggle, to project loss, joy, praise onto God. We lift our hands for praise. We put our hands out to receive or to give to God. We raise our heads or we bow our heads. Each of these bodily movements can make way for our minds and our hearts to connect with what we're singing, even when we don't feel like it, even when it's hard to say those things, even when it's hard to sing those things, even when it's hard to believe those things, the simple act of raising our hands can make space for God's spirit to connect what we're singing with our minds and our hearts. And then lastly, singing our prayers unite us. It unites us together. I mean, think about what other context, what other practice do we practice all together at the same time in one common voice? Singing. We are singing together these truths. We are praying these truths to God. We sing together. We pray together. We praise God with a common voice. We profess truth. We profess repentance. Faith, we do it together. We do it together. So where do we go from here? What are some next steps for us when we think about singing our prayers together? First, I want to encourage you to sing. To actually sing. Don't worry about how, you're, how you sound. Nobody cares. We always, nobody cares. 
Nobody cares that you can't carry a tune. Nobody cares that you sing off pitch. Sing. Sing whether you like the style of music or not. Those are preference issues. That doesn't diminish the fact that these truths are true. That these words are prayers to God. Think of your singing as communicating to God. And somebody else has given you the words to sing and the words to say. Next, use your body. I mean, this is new for a lot of us in here. A lot of us didn't grow up in churches where our bodies were engaged in worship. A lot of us did not grow up in churches where it was common to clap, to raise our hands, to kneel, whatever it is. And so for a lot of us, that just feels uncomfortable. It feels it feels weird. But I want to encourage you. Try it. Try it. Lift your hands, close your eyes, look up, whatever you do that, even if you don't feel like it, or even if it seems odd, let your body help you sing and help you communicate to God. Next, and Hannah, I'm glad you said this, parents, sing with your kids, sing with your kids. And that has been a huge thing in our Soma Kids ministry week in and week out. That our kids are learning the words of Scripture. Our kids are learning the gospel through these songs that we sing. So buy those songs. Play them in your car. Play them, you know, after dinner or before bed. Sing with your kids. Our kids are learning about God. And they're learning how to talk to God and communicate to God through song. And we should encourage that. And lastly... Read the Bible. Read the Bible. I was talking to Tamise, who unfortunately couldn't be here uh, this Sunday um, because her and Tony are traveling this weekend. But I was talking to Tamise about this. And one thing she said really stuck to me. She says, we don't know God well enough to worship him the way that he desires. We don't know God well enough to worship him the way that he desires. And as I've thought about that, that has just really stuck in my mind. And it's really convicted my heart. Because oftentimes we don't know what to say to God because we don't know what he's first said to us. And so I want to encourage you as you think about praying. As you think about prayer and the practice of prayer, the practice of singing your prayer, all of that is rooted in the scriptures. That's why we went through the Psalms. I wanted you to see that. Wouldn't you see that everything that we experience in life is written in here? Like these were real people. These were real people that interacted with God in real life. And so we can open up these pages and we can know that this wasn't written in some kind of of sterile vacuum, devoid of human experience. This is human experience. This is God speaking to us in a language that we can understand in experiences that we have with each other. And so I think for us to grow in the practice of prayer, we must commit to reading the scriptures, to knowing the God that we're praying to. When we sing on Sunday morning, we have to know the God that we're singing to. 
the God that we're communicating. And we have to know how he wants to be known and how he wants to be worshipped. As I mentioned at the beginning, what we do here on Sunday morning, we do with millions and millions and millions of people around the globe. Just think about that. Think about that. That as we all lift our voices in different languages, in different musical styles to God. We are doing that with one voice in one voice with people from every tribe and every tongue and every language. And that is a glimpse of eternity. That is a glimpse of eternity. That one day we will stand around the throne of Jesus with people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And we will sing praises to our God. We will worship him. We will communicate him because we will see him as he really is. And we do that and we are able to do that with hope and with confidence today. Because of Christ's death and his resurrection for us. Each Sunday, we take a piece of the bread and we dip it in the juice. And we do that as a symbol of hope. A symbol that we have been united with Jesus. That we are sons and daughters of God. That we have access to God. That when we pray, he hears us. Mm -hmm. When we sing, he hears us. Because we are his. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you are a Christian, to come and to take a piece of the bread, to dip it in the juice. We'll have stations over here and here, and we'll have one in the back. I want to invite you to come. If you're not a Christian this morning, you're struggling to understand what that means. If you don't know how that connects with your life, just stay in your seat. There's no judgment. But this isn't for you. This is something that symbolizes what we believe is true and what we are living and holding on to as our hope. But if you would like to talk more, we would love to do that. Myself, Pastor Nate, others, we would love to talk with you more after the service. Let's come and let's worship God this morning by taking communion and then let's sing together and let's lift our hands together. And let's pray together to God this morning. God, we lift up this time to you. And we pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing to you, God. And we pray that we would be people through our singing, through our practice of prayer, That we would live with an awareness of your presence. That we would grow in our understanding of what it means to be in a relationship with you. And God, that as we do that together. That that would be a picture of hope to our city. To this country, to this world. We pray for Christians around the world this morning who are worshiping some who are worshiping under the threat of imprisonment, death, some who have forsaken their families, their livelihoods, to stand up and sing praises to you.
And we pray for them and we pray your protection over them. We pray your encouragement to them. And we thank you for what you're doing and what you will continue to do until you come back. In Jesus' name, amen.